1: I don't want to be one of those people who flies all the time, who bitches then about people who fly rarely, Uh, particularly at this time of year. You get the amateurs at the airport. You get people who fly once a year for Thanksgiving or Christmas and suddenly airports that are crowded and unpleasant are a thousand times more crowded and 10,000 times more unpleasant because the lines are moving more slowly, because people aren't paying attention, because people don't know what to do, because people don't do it all the time and I actually sort of – Envy people who don't know what they're doing at airports because it means they're not in airports all the time like I am. I know exactly what to do in an airport because I'm always there and that's kind of sad and depressing. I spend way too much time flying here and there. I My carbon footprint is appalling. When the seas rise, when Chelsea is underwater in Manhattan, uh, I'm going to have to take responsibility for at least a block or two of that. But airports, Thanksgiving – uh, it's Thanksgiving. People are at airports. They're rushing home and they're in a panic and they've got their shitty awful – I'm sorry. They're lovely charming children with them who are melting down and behaving in shitty awful ways because they're just kids and airports are stressful and their parents are freaked out. And it's just like sitting here looking at the news about the storm that is paralyzing the East Coast and parts of the Middle West and perhaps the Southwest. That we just got to fucking bite the bullet and move Thanksgiving to June or July. This is just a holiday that we made up 100 years ago or so. There's no fucking reason we can't move it. There's no reason it has to be at the end of November. There's no reason it has to come so hard on the heels of Christmas. We can move this motherfucker. Yes, we can. To a month when people – Might have some time off. Might have a desire to travel to a time when going home doesn't mean going home in the teeth of a norwest or going home into an ice storm or going home to your childhood home at the ugliest, coldest, wettest, most depressing time of year. Wouldn't it be nicer to visit your family home in June or July or August, see mom and dad when the yard's in full bloom rather than rush home for this Thanksgiving horseshit? I don't quite know how to finesse this pivot I want to make right here from Thanksgiving and airports and what nightmares they are. I was just in one yesterday to uh, Charles Manson and and murderers and serial killers and bisexual invisibility. But here we go. Charles Manson just struck a blow for bisexual visibility against bisexual invisibility by coming out as bisexual in an interview with the Rolling Stone in which he was talking about his – Forthcoming marriage to his 25 year old girlfriend, which just, you know, whenever anybody says that gay people shouldn't be allowed to marry because we're unfit. because gay love isn't everything that straight love can be because our relationships aren't open to procreation, that we can't have babies with all this gay sex that we're having. The same people, however, turn around then and say that anything is possible through God and then they tell me two men can't have a baby and it seems to me if anything is possible through God, then two men could have a baby. It could be a miracle. But they say that they can't, so we can't. Uh, But this motherfucker can get married legally. The Supreme Court has ruled you cannot deny uh, someone on death row or in prison for life the right to marry. It is a fundamental right. And so where are the marriage nutbags who say it's all about having kids? Where is Rick Santorum who on Colbert last week said marriage is about children, about having children, about a child being raised by its natural as opposed to its supernatural adoptive parents but by its natural mother and father? Where is Rick Santorum when Charles Manson is about to marry? Where is Rick Santorum to point out that Charles Manson and his insane 25-year-old girlfriend cannot have a baby? But that's, that's a separate issue. What's interesting is that Charles Manson has come out as bisexual and I don't bring this up to piss off the bisexuals because they're already pissed off. That's how they roll and I admire them for that. I'm gay and I'm always pissed off. But I was just thinking when I was reading this story about Charles Manson coming out as bisexual, something I wrote in my book, American Savage, which makes an excellent Christmas present. Uh, that somebody screaming and yelling being upset as sexual minorities are prone to do being upset about bisexual invisibility and how unfair it was and how people automatically assume that someone's gay if they get wrapped up in a gay sex scandal when you know that senator in the men's room giving blowjobs or that evangelical pastor seeing male prostitutes and using meth uh, could be bi and yet whenever that happens to one of them we hear oh he's gay the senator's gay and the pastor's gay and this bi guy was pointing out, well, no, 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 they could be bi. And I just thought and I said in my book that this is the one time that sort of that bisexual invisibility thing redounds to the benefit of bisexuals everywhere. Isn't it better that when, you know, a Larry Craig or a Ted Haggard come along that people don't go, could be bi, could be bi. Like just take the bisexual invisibility. It does so much damage to the bisexual community. I get it. But when it helps you, just like, all right, roll with it. Like keep your mouth shut. Yeah. That guy a faggot. You don't have to stand there and go, could be bi, could be bi. And if I said, oh, wait, could be bi. Ted Haggard could be bi. That would be evidence of biphobia if it came out of my mouth, right? Well, here we have Charles Manson says he's bi. What do we do with that? Well, I guess it's a striking blow for – Bisexual visibility among the serial killer community? You know, the gays, we have John Wayne Gacy who terrorized my childhood. We have Jeffrey Dahmer who ate my friend Tony. We have Andrew Cunanan who murdered Versace and a bunch of other people. We have our killers and I just think it's a proud day for the bisexual community that you have your serial killer now too and not just any serial killer but Charles fucking Manson. Congratulations, I guess no one will ever look at a serial killer again and think must be gay they'll think could be bi like Charlie and now your calls
2: hi Dan I'm a 46 year old straight guy from California I am uh, ending a 17 year marriage due to sexual incompatibility about a month ago we agreed to split up and, uh, and, and just be friends or whatever however We um, must live together for about three months here uh, due to uh, financial reasons. Neither one of us can afford to move. So a little backstory: About a year ago, I became friends with a woman down the street, and what started as a friendship ended up becoming uh, an emotional affair. We never had sex or anything, but, you know, we both wanted to. My wife found out about it and put the kibosh on it. Uh, at the time, and I didn't. I haven't seen her since then. Up until about a month ago, when my wife and I decided to split up, um, I've started hanging out with her. She lives down the block. We haven't sealed the deal yet, but uh, you know we both want to. The problem is my wife is hurt by this. She says it's disrespectful. You know because we're still living together and it's hurtful to her and. So my question is: Is this? Am I being disrespectful? I want to live my life and uh, and move on, and I'm I'm dying to fuck this girl, but I just want everybody to be happy. I don't know if everybody can can be happy, but uh, that's that's my wish.
1: I'm with you. I'm on your side at every step. The marriage is over. Uh, You're only living together now basically as roommates and friends for the next three months until your finances allow you to establish separate households and to move out. And so I I totally would be on your side 100% and say, yeah, yeah, go fuck this woman except for the fact that she lives down the street. And if you do start fucking this woman and carrying on a relationship, it's not only going to be sort of rubbing it in the nose of your ex-wife who – it may be feeling some grief at the collapse of your marriage i hope you are that's a sad thing for everyone but it'll also very likely humiliate her in the eyes of your other neighbors who may think that you know this affair uh led to the collapse of your marriage or that you are picking this woman over her and with both of them on the same block at the same time while you're fucking her people will gossip and draw comparisons and make comparisons about you know everything the way people assess women so I would urge you and this woman to suck it up and wait the 12 weeks, not because you have to but because you ought to for your wife uh, out of some sense of decency and consideration for her feelings. You're not – you're really – you're not obligated to refrain from fucking this woman. Your marriage is over. You can do what you want. The only issue is how much – sort of damage and needless pain do you want to inflict on your wife on the way out the door? Now, maybe you and this woman could sneak the fuck off far away and fuck somewhere else, you know, in a hotel on the other side of town, and I could smile on that. But for you to begin sort of dating her openly and fucking her openly while you and your wife are still under the same roof, on the same block, in front of the other neighbors, it just – displays a kind of callous disregard for your wife's sensitivities at this moment, for her you know, ability to walk down the street without feeling judged and scrutinized and pitied by everyone else uh, in your hood. So I would urge you to either go into hyper-discretion mode and fuck her in such a way and at such a time that nobody on earth knows it's going on, particularly no one in your neighborhood or on your block. Or to allow the erotic tension to build for the next 12 weeks until you have your own place and your wife has her own place and you're both safely presumably out of this neighborhood. Uh, And then you can, like Cartman, do what you want. Because what you need to think about is how this is going to make your wife feel, your soon-to-be ex-wife feel. Now, somebody else having a feeling is not necessarily someone else has a veto power over your choices or your actions. Um. But you do need to think about how your actions may impact somebody else's feelings and then make up your own mind about whether your care and concern for that person – and I assume that you have some affection for your wife, you're assumed to be ex-wife, otherwise you wouldn't have married her in the first place. Whether that leads you to a point where you're going to make a different choice for now out of consideration for their feelings. You don't want somebody to say, oh, you can't do that. I'm having a feeling because that just gives somebody total power over you and they can just randomly assert feelings and completely control your actions all your life. But to take someone else's feelings into consideration while you're making your choices about what you need to do or must do or when you're going to do what you want to do, that's not allowing yourself to be controlled. That's just being a human being. That's just being kind. And I do think at the end of a 17-year marriage, you don't mention whether you have children or not, but at the end of a 17-year marriage, particularly if you have children, you want to be kind and considerate on the way out the door because you're always going to be a part of each other's lives in a way and always going to be a part of each other's histories. And if you have children, you're always going to be a part of each other's life going forward. And so some consideration, some small sacrifice like fucking this woman super discreetly or waiting 12 weeks and then fucking her then is not too – big a price to pay for good relations with your ex-wife going forward.
3: Hi, Dan. My name's Bella. I'm 18 years old, and my situation is that I am engaged, but one of the issues I find with my fiancé is that he is constantly looking to have a threesome and to I another person in the picture, and my issue is that I am very, very,
0: very monogamous. It's one of the most important things to me. I mean, I've listened to you about
3: non-monogamy and how it works and just not into it. Um, I would really like your advice on how to handle a situation when he is just totally dead set on seeing me with another woman or just having a threesome. All right, thank you.
1: There are two reasons why you need to end this engagement. You need to break this engagement off immediately. Reason one, you are 18 fucking years old. You do not know your hole from an ass in the ground when you're 18 years old. You really don't know what you want. I'm not saying that monogamy isn't what you want, uh, but you don't know what else you want in life. You don't really know who you are. And if you look at the data, you look at the research, you look at the stats, people who marry – At 18, people who marry young divorce in their 20s. Those marriages are not built to last because the people in them don't know their holes from asses in the ground. And I realize that there will be exceptions. There will be data points that we will hear from now saying, I got married when I was 18. We're still together. Yes, you're like the 95-year-old smoker. Yes, you're out there and you exist. But you do not refute the data and the research and the science and the evidence just by simple fact of your existence. You are an outlier. So young lady, you are too young to make this kind of lifelong commitment. You are too young to look at this person and say, I know myself so well that I know that you are someone that I could be with for 70 fucking years, seven goddamn decades. You don't know that yet. Go to college if college is something that you'd like to do. Live a little, travel, meet people. Have a series of monogamous relationships and learn what it is you like and who it is you like and what it is you want and then go find that person and make a monogamous commitment to him and settle down forever. Reason two that you need to break off this engagement immediately, you and your fiance are not sexually compatible. Period. The end. And you are allowed to take that into consideration when you're making a lifelong commitment. It is crucially important when you make a lifelong monogamous commitment that you establish basic and fundamental sexual compatibility and you guys are on different fucking pages on the most important issue to you in your married life, you said, which is monogamy. He is clearly not interested in monogamy and being monogamous. He wants to have three ways. He wants to see you with another woman. You aren't interested in those things. He talks about it and yammers on about it all the time. Do you think that's going to change? Once you march him down the aisle or he's given away by his father or however it is you straight people get married these days, do you think that's going to change? Do you think the things that turn him on now are going to stop turning him on? Do you think he's going to stop asking? No, he's not. These are the things that he wants in his life sexually to be happy. And they are not the things that you want in your life and they will make you unhappy. You guys are a recipe for dis fucking disaster, Even if – I knew nothing else about you but married at, getting married at 18, engaged at 18, I would urge you not to do it. But knowing that, oh my god, if I knew where you were thinking about getting married, I would show up at the church and object myself. You're getting two messages from the culture about sex. One is that sex is so important that you should only ever do it with one person all your life, that you must be monogamous. And the other message that the culture sends you is sex is so unimportant that you're not allowed to take it into consideration when you're picking a life partner. That there's something base about you or animal-ish about you if you look at somebody and just think whatever else they bring to the table, however much I like them, however wonderful our rapport is, however much I enjoy spending time with this person, however much we're on the same page about finances and children and all this other stuff. You are not allowed to put sex on the scales and say, is the sex good? Do we want the same thing? Do we enjoy the same things? Because if you weigh that, if you give that the same importance that you give all these other considerations that you're somehow – Overemphasizing the importance of sex. You're some kind of sex-crazed monster. You have to take sex into consideration, particularly in a sexually exclusive relationship, particularly if you want monogamy because what's going to happen is he's going to come to you and say, all right, you never want to have a threesome. You knew when we got married that I wanted to have a threesome. I was always very upfront about that, so I'm going to go have a threesome with other people. That's what you're going to hear in five years when you have a small child at home. Then what are you going to do? You're going to wish you had a time machine, and you go back to when you're 18 and listen to your gay Uncle Dan and call this off.
4: Hey, Dan. I'm a single gay man in his mid, you know, late 20s. I also am a drag queen, so it's kind of hard meeting guys that are into that, but I did meet one. I actually met him at a bathhouse. We were there. We were both chilling. What drew me to this guy was obviously that he was hot, but he also seems very open about sex, and sexuality, seems really cool. And then when he found out I was a drag queen, he was totally cool with it. Um, We've hung out a few times since then, but it's just seemed super platonic. And I actually just got done hanging out with him tonight. He doesn't seem to be super interested. And it's weird. It's like we met and we like sexually connected like upon first meeting. But upon second and third meeting, he's just like, I've, I've kind of given him some green lights and some positive signals. He doesn't seem to be picking him up. I think I'm answering my own question right now by saying he's just not that into me. But I don't know. What do you do? What do you do when you meet a guy at a bathhouse? You fool around. The sex is good. He's obviously interested because he asks for your number afterwards. But then the next time, like, Am I just not being blunt enough? Is he maybe just not picking up what I'm putting down? I don't know. And
1: now I wish I hadn't called. You're a drag queen. Drag queens can say anything to anyone when they're in drag. I think the problem is you're hanging out with this guy not in drag. You need to get all dragged out, perhaps just psychically, psychologically, mentally, and go to him and say, look, what's the deal? The one we met... We fucked around and you seemed into me. So we started to like hang out outside the bathhouse and nothing, no more anything. Uh, I feel like I've been leaving the breadcrumbs, marking the trail clearly to my ass and you haven't been picking them up. What's up? And he'll probably tell you something that you don't want to hear, which is why you have not yet asked this question. He'll probably say, you know, uh, I really like you as a friend. That was fun that night, but I'm not interested in anything going forward. But I really like having you around. So I've continued to hang out with you. Uh, And I'm sorry that hurt your feelings, he'll add, if he has any sense, Uh, because then you had these expectations and I should have just been up front from the start. But here's the deal. I want to be your friend, but I don't want to be your boyfriend. That's probably what you're going to hear when you say, look, what's the deal to him? Also, consider where you met him. And I'm not saying that everybody who goes to bathhouses is damaged and incapable of forming intimate and sexual relationships. But I hear all the time from guys who say that they go to bathhouses, they go to these public sex environments where it's all about you know anonymity and in the moment and these connections with new people that you've never been with before. And for some, it carves such a groove into their erotic imaginations, into their dicks that they have a really hard time being intimate with and responding to sexually someone that they know, someone that they get, they've gotten to know, someone they date, that they – in a way perhaps have – either have damaged themselves or bathhouses self-select for people who who are incapable of uh, of being intimate with somebody they know well. And so bathhouses exist not to create these people but because these people exist and they need a venue to get it on, right? One or the other. But I hear from them all the time. I go to bathhouses. I can do it. I get hard. I have a blast. I go on a couple of dates with somebody. Nothing. Can't get it up. Can't get into it. Not attracted to them. So consider where you met this guy and whether he might be one of those guys that I hear from all the time who either were damaged and found their way to the bathhouses where they meet with some intimate and sexual success, or they were damaged by going to bathhouses and carving a groove into themselves around anonymity. Hey, Dan,
5: I'm recently starting to look for a relationship. I'm 19 and I'm gay. But I'm starting to look for a relationship, and I've been texting this one guy I found online. And I've noticed through texting him that he's getting a little aggressive or clingy with his words and always looking for reassurance from me, even though we've never met. Now, it sounds like this is a red flag, but, I mean, I've never actually been in a relationship with a guy, and I know that's probably not how that they're supposed to act. But is there anything that could happen or go wrong with me just accepting it and, you know, this being like a test run for any future relationship that I might want to do? Um, I want to say I'm desperate, but the amount of guys I have to choose from for a relationship is kind of small, and this is the one thing that I can really try.
1: People who are having relationships with people that they've actually met in person dump people all the time. People get dumped all the time for being aggressive and clingy and constantly demanding reassurance. Those kinds of behaviors are indeed red flags and it's a kind of abusive controlling behavior where the other person plays the wrong party in the victim and makes you feel like you're constantly – uh, you know, doing something wrong by not paying enough attention to them and then they, you know, woe is me, woe is me and it's just a way of controlling you and making you miserable uh, and you need to – I don't know. I would tell you to end this relationship. I guess it's the end of the relationship show. You, need, you just need to say to this guy like, "We, dude, we've never even met and we should still be in the like – fun and flirting and getting to know each other you know, online and via text stage of just sussing each other out. But you, like this aggressive, controlling, insecure, jealous crap is making you really unattractive and I don't want anything to do with that. I don't need that in my life. So yeah, you should end it. But then you say that you're 19 years old. You don't say where you are. You say you don't have a lot of options and you don't say why. So. I'm going to give you some advice about how to have a relationship with this guy. You've got nothing to lose. It's just an online relationship. You're just texting each other, right? Hopefully you haven't handed him a bunch of incriminating photographs that if he's a dick bag, he could throw up on the internet if he feels wronged by you. But just be assertive and stick up for yourself and say, hey, when you act that way, I don't want to talk to you. When you act that way, when you're clingy and aggressive and insecure and controlling, it makes me want to – end this. So knock that off so we can continue to get to know each other and chat. Identify the behaviors that he engages in that are unacceptable to you that will cause you – will prompt you sooner or later, hopefully sooner, to end the relationship and throw them in his face. Say, stop. This text is really out of line. If you want to continue to have this online relationship and friendship with me and get to know each other better and perhaps move toward meeting in person, you can't act this way. You can't behave this way because I wouldn't. I don't want this in my life uh, from a real flesh and blood in my house, in my mouth boyfriend and I certainly am not going to put up with it from somebody I haven't even met. If you can't be assertive that way – he's certainly being assertive about his bullshit. Why not be assertive back at him and see if you can't course correct him. He may be young and stupid and think this is the way love works and the way boyfriends are supposed to behave. And a good pushback from you, an aggressive pushback from you, may help him see that this is not a successful emotional strategy for dating. But if you don't push back because you're afraid that there's nobody else, da da da, it's only going to get worse because the end result of all this, what he's going for, is controlling you. And so he's just going to dial this up and dial it up and dial it up unless you either push back hard or break up with him over it. I would encourage you to go for the latter. I would encourage you to break up and look around. There's other boys out there. But if you're not ready to do that, at least you owe it yourself to push back hard.
3: Hi Dan, my name is Lisa. I am a uh, 34 (coughs) year old uh, bisexual woman in New York. Uh, I'm calling with a rather unusual question. Um, I never had difficulty achieving an orgasm before, but I did not have orgasms from penetrative sex ever, only from clitoral stimulation, which is pretty difficult. Um I'm prone to ejaculation. I come very regularly, very frequently, very repeatedly. However, about a year ago or exactly a year ago, I had weight loss surgery and I've lost um, about 130 pounds and in the past, especially the past 30 pounds of which I've noticed that I've been having uh, increasing difficulty having orgasms uh, when I'm either masturbating or with a partner. I've actually had to switch from um, using my standard uh, vibrators, you know, little bullet vibrators to a Hitachi wand, which seems to be the only thing that provides enough strength for me to actually reach my clitoris. But I also have um, started a new partnership. I'm Polly, also. And um, I started a new partnership with a cis uh, guy who I do have penetrative sex with. And I've been having orgasms from penetrative sex with him. Now, I don't know if that's just because he's rather good at it or whatever, but it feels like something about losing literally half my body mass has changed in some way how my clitoris gets stimulated or something in my anatomy being stimulated. I also don't know if there's a hormonal component to this. Oh, and I also, as a side note, uh, I used to also be able to have orgasms from nipple stimulation, and I do not seem to be able to do that anymore either. I have seem to have lost a lot of sensitivity in my nipples. I don't really know who to ask this question and I was sitting here talking with my spouse, my other partner, and guess did we call in the show? I was 285 pounds and I am now about 155 pounds and I seem to be having different and more difficult to achieve orgasms, which is upsetting because I like to have orgasms, but I also like being uh, much more slimmer.
1: Joining me by phone to help answer this question, Dr. David Saurer. He's a professor of psychology at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, hey, Dr. Saurer, Thanks for jumping on the phone with us today.
6: Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me
1: on. So you've studied uh, the impact that uh, having weight loss surgery or bariatric surgery can have on people's sex lives and their sexual response. Correct. And what, what was your reaction when you heard this call? What do you think is going on with this woman and her clitoris and her orgasms? So,
6: you know, it's a little hard to say um, because in the study that we did while I was just down in Atlanta last week bragging about uh, how comprehensive it was, uh, the reality is that, that the specifics that this woman's talking about are really beyond what we were able to document in our study. So while we ask women to tell us about the self-report in their behavior and including the frequency of their orgasms. And while we also assessed their reproductive hormones and saw uh, statistically significant improvements in both the hormones and sexual functioning, we really didn't have questions that specifically got at um, vaginal versus clitoral orgasms or orgasms in response to one form of stimulation versus another. But it's definitely an interesting issue in terms of could the massive weight loss, uh, in fact, have set up a a physiological mechanism where she's experiencing arousal, pleasure, and orgasm differently than she was before.
1: Wouldn't it have to? I mean... You know, if you change your body composition by half, the angles at which your clitoris is going to be stimulated during vaginal intercourse might change. You know, because, you know, clitoral stimulation is what causes female orgasms. And some women are capable of deriving enough clitoral stimulation during vaginal penetration to orgasm. Prior to her massive weight loss, she was not. She could not climax during vaginal intercourse. But she's lost half her body weight. Is it possible that her clitoris has, has since been repositioned and is now Clicking in during vaginal intercourse, getting the stim it needs in order to come? you know
6: intuitively i think you're right um... as a psychologist and not an ob-gyn i probably are gonna punt and say that's a better question for an OBGYN. but i think the other important issue in all this dan and and not surprisingly is um, you know we know that sexual stimulation occurs as much between the ears as it does between the legs something i'm sure that you talk about with your listeners all the time and and in our study we actually women reported um... that there were no changes in their frequency or the quality of their orgasms with the massive weight loss now some women did report improvements some actually reported a decrease in the frequency of orgasm so the the changes with weight loss were were more or less all over the map and and the women in my study lost about as much as the, the caller did um so it's so when when i'm trying to make sense of of both what the caller said and and what the women in my study told us is that i i still think we that sexual behavior is very much at the intersection of what's going on physiologically What's going on psychologically, and despite our best efforts in research studies, it can be hard to to tease that out and really nail down what's going on for any individual woman.
1: So, what was the name of the paper? You've put out a paper about your study uh, of women who've had this surgery and their sexuality. Yeah, so this was a study that was
6: published in uh, the journal JAMA Surgery, which is an offshoot of, of the Journal of the American Medical Association, or JAMA. Uh, and the focus of the investigation was really looking at changes in sexual functioning and sex hormone levels in women who had undergone bariatric surgery.
1: And the what's the takeaway? This is, We're kind of just shifting into a what do you got here. We invite researchers on all the time to tell yeah. us what they got. What was the takeaway from the sure. study? Are there people out there who fear getting the weight loss surgery because it might impact negatively their their, their ability? to to climax or be sexual?
6: Well, I wouldn't say that that was one of the main takeaways here, but that is something that we see anecdotally from time to time. So when I uh, also do the clinical psychological evaluations on individuals before they undergo bariatric surgery, and we'll often spend time talking with women about their current sexual functioning. And in particular, if we've got a woman who discloses to us that she has a history of sexual abuse, we know that those women will sometimes experience what I like to call some emotional turbulence uh, related to the abuse after surgery meaning that as they're losing weight they may be getting a lot of increased attention on their appearance and their body image and compliments from individuals on how they look and for some of these people who have a history of childhood sexual abuse those kind of compliments can actually make them feel quite uncomfortable Mm -hmm. so we'll kind of prepare them for those things in advance in terms of what we found in our study, however, um, what we did find is that sexual satisfaction in general appears to improve for most women, and it does within the first year of surgery when women have lost about thirty percent of their initial body weight. So a uh, percentage very comparable to what your caller just described, um, and we found it not over an o- not only in overall satisfaction, but also in arousal, lubrication, and satisfaction with all you know with the. In- their sexual behavior in general. And what was particularly interesting about this study is the women who showed the greatest detriments in sexual behavior prior to surgery were the ones who showed the greatest improvements, such that one year after surgery, their level of sexual functioning was comparable to that of women who reported no problems in their sexual functioning before surgery. And I think in some ways that that really illustrates the heterogeneity of sexual response that we see with people with extreme obesity.
1: Now, um, Chris Christie, the governor of New Jersey and future Republican presidential uh, candidate, he recently had uh, this bariatric surgery, weight loss surgery. Can anything be extrapolated from your findings uh, onto Chris Christie? Can we make any inferences about Chris Christie's sex life based on this study?
6: <laughs> well, well, we actually did report just last week in Atlanta a, a similar study to the one we 're talking about today, but looking at male sexual behavior and interesting, what we found, and we 're going to be writing this up for publication in the next couple of months is that uh, the pattern of results is somewhat different for men than it is for women that while men showed some improvements in some areas of sexual functioning, they didn't show some of the psychosocial benefits that the women showed as they 've lost that thirty percent of their initial weight loss
1: okay uh, final thoughts for this uh, this caller. It seems to me that her body has changed. She says she's lost half her body weight. My, ga- you know, join me, please, doctor, and just pulling things out of your ass. That's what I do here on the Savage Lovecast. <laughs> it seems to me that her, you know so much of her body has changed that her clitoris has probably been repositioned. It's surrounded by a different kind of you know muscle mass and fatty tissue, and all of that has an impact on your ability for your clit to like interact with the stimulation that it's getting from outside the world. And that might have just be the result of That, that a change in the way that she's come. She's still coming so we don't have to see this as a problem. She's just coming a little differently now just as she's sized a little differently now.
6: Right, And in my experience, uh, when I've done work with couples and and dealt with issues of sexual functioning and then dealt with people who have been single and then changed sexual partners, is that our sexual response can obviously vary from individual to individual. So while some of this may be a function of her weight loss and obviously what's going on with her physiologically, and as you said, you know, is there a differential change in the percentage of fat in her genital region? Um, You know, is the angle of her clitoris different? We also got to realize that some of this may be an artifact of her new partner and how she's responding to that individual. I I know that in the call she talked about masturbation as well. But I think there's really so many different variables going on here that she's she's really kind of shared with us something really interesting and unique. And I know that that it'd be great in some ways, you know, from my perspective as a clinical psychologist to talk with her more about, you know, some of the the differences in behavior that she's experiencing and so forth, because I suspect that these changes aren't unique just to her.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's so many interesting things about her call. You would think that she said she used to be able to come very easily with just small bullet right. vibrators, but now she needs a Hitachi magic wand, which is the jackhammer of vibrators. Right. <laughs> so the difference was right. that you know her clit was on you know surrounded by less you know muscle and fat than it used to be. You would think counterintuitively that a smaller, uh, less intense vibrator would get her off, and then losing her ability to come uh, just from nipple stimulation alone. It seems like there's a lot of just a lot of changes going on in her body, and I think she can should continue to ride this wave and experience yeah. it. And interesting
6: when she first started talking about it, I was anticipating her call to go in the exact opposite direction, where I was expecting that she was going to say that she had lost her ability um, that she had lost her ability to have orgasms at all, and I was thinking that it was uh, the way she was going to understand it and explain it to us was going to be much more psychological in nature, but she really seems to be thinking this seems more physical to her. Um, I was expecting uh, a much more of a psychologically based call and and having her talk more about how she feels about her body and, and while a lot of women as they lose weight from the surgery feel much better about their body, we also know that some women and men suffer from the loose hanging skin after these massive weight losses. Where they may feel great about their body and their sexual appearance and clothes, but as some women have said to us in support groups, you wouldn't want to see me naked. Mm-hmm. That they can, you know, camouflage it well in clothing, but they get very self conscious when they get undressed, and particularly if they're with a new partner.
1: Mm-hmm. But that doesn't seem to be an issue for the caller. So, no, it didn't seem like it. Uh, what was the name of the study again, if somebody wants to go look it up? So the study
6: was published in JAMA Surgery, and the title was Changes in Sexual Functioning and Sex Hormone Levels in Women Following Bariatric Surgery. And as I said, Dan, we're going to be publishing a, a paper on men probably early in 2014, and and uh, if you want to bring him back for this segment, I'd be more than happy to do it.
1: We will have you back for sure. Dr. David Sower, maybe we'll have you on with Chris Christie. Dr. David Sauer, <laughs> Professor of Psychology at the Perlman School of Medicine at University of Pennsylvania. Thanks so much for jumping on the phone with us today.
6: Great. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it.
7: Hi, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old straight male, and I have a question about being open about being open. Uh, my wife and I are trying out an open relationship. We're both very happy and love each other very much, and we're going into this hoping it will enhance our lives, give it a little more variety than we could get otherwise. But we can't seem to agree on how public our lifestyle choice should be. My wife says that she has nothing to hide, and it's fine talking about it with anyone, be it close friends, acquaintances, coworkers, even family. She's very opinionated and doesn't want to lie or remain silent about it when something relevant is brought up in conversation. I love that about her, but in this case, it's kind of putting me in an uncomfortable situation. I can see the benefit of being able to talk about it with close friends, but beyond that, I don't really think it's necessary to be completely public or truthful about it. I prefer the idea of being socially monogamous for the most part, even if that means lying or holding my tongue in certain conversations. My wife says that I shouldn't live in fear, and my wanting this to be private is an entirely emotional decision. She's also concerned that this would make it incredibly difficult to find other partners if we couldn't look for hookups when we're out and with anyone other than our closest friends, or we couldn't use public or semi-public dating sites and apps. Am I being unreasonable? You're very vocal about how important it is to be out about sexual orientation, but is it as important for a lifestyle choice like this? Should I get over my anxiety, go public and in some small way help fight the stigma against open relationships? Or is it perfectly fine and want to keep this private? And if it is fine, how do we meet people without everyone in our lives finding out?
1: As I've said before, you know, when it comes to open or non-monogamous relationships, there's a lot of prejudice out there and uh, a a real distorted view uh, of them. Uh, People think they all fail because People only hear about the ones that do fail. Uh, People who are in successful, non-monogamous or open relationships, even poly relationships who are straight are usually closeted about it. They are perceived to be monogamous. They are socially monogamous as you would like to be with your wife even as you pursue this openness. Um, And that's not going to change. The prejudice, the shame that is sort of prompting you to keep this quiet, uh, that's not going to go away until more people who are doing this are in these kinds of relationships and successful are out and open and unashamed about it. That said, you're young and you're just tiptoeing into this world of open relationships. Um, And I do think that there's nothing about being socially monogamous now, nothing about being a little discreet now that precludes being more open about it later as you get more comfortable. So if I were you, I would go to the wife and say, I really want to do this. Uh, For my own comfort level, as we tiptoe into this world, uh, one of the baby steps I would like to take because you don't do this without taking a lot of baby steps. You just don't jump into the deep end of the pool. Um, You don't just run out there and go to a swingers party and jump in a sex sling. You ease into it. One of the ways you would like to be eased into this is to take the public disclosure shit slowly. Um, You're already saying that you're going to be out to some friends, some intimates. That's good. A lot of people who are in non-monogamous open relationships, particularly heterosexual swingers, are not e- even out to their intimates or close friends. You're going to be out to a few people. Word will get around a little bit. Um, but your ability then to still be perceived to be monogamous by your coworkers, by your neighbors, by your family, that's going to allow you to develop the kind of confidence for this new relationship model for you guys that you're going to need – if you're ever going to be fully out about it. So in a way, you know it's a floor wax and a dessert topping. Yes, you can have your social monogamy for now because that may allow you in future to be much more public about it and less concerned about being perceived to be monogamous. So do both. And as to whether this makes it harder for you to get partners, I think you guys have it backwards. I think you think that if you're – Not monogamous, you just let everyone know and then people who want to fuck you will line up outside your door or run up to you at parties or bars and go, oh, there's that non-monogamous couple. I'm going to throw myself at one or the other or both of them. Typically not how it works. Um, If you're a non-monogamous couple and you're out there in the world and there's somebody that you would like to get with, you usually will do the approaching. Um, And there's nothing about uh, not being publicly out, out, out uh, that precludes doing the approaching. Most people who are in open relationships or open marriages – And most people who are swingers will sometimes be at a party or a bar. They'll be having fun. They'll click with somebody and they'll hit on them. And there's nothing about a little discretion now uh, that prevents you from hitting on people that you would like to get with or your wife hitting on people that she would like to get with right now. So – Take it slow, continue to be perceived to be monogamous for now, and keep being open, more open about it over time as you're more comfortable with it on the table. So you can both have what you want. You'll have what you want for now. She'll get what she wants in a bit.
3: Hi, Dan. I am a 22-year-old bi-curious, probably bisexual, I don't know, female, uh, living in the Midwest, and I have a question for you hopping on the coming-out-as-bisexual bandwagon. I just ended a relationship of three years with a man. Uh, one of the things that convinced me out of multiple things to lead him was that I told him that I had feelings about women. Um, he found some pornography that I had of women. And like when he was eating me out, I would picture it was a woman, things like that. Um, and he told me that in order to stay with him, I would just have to uh, repress that. So I'm no longer with him and now I'm sort of experimenting, just spreading my wings. Um, I still haven't had sober sex with a woman and I don't know if I could emotionally date a woman. Um, so I don't really know if I'm bisexual or not. And if, if I am, when is the time to come out? I mean, not until you're totally sure. I don't know. I have a really conservative Christian family, uh, which is definitely one of the big um, breaks that are kind of Being put on this whole situation. So I just, I I don't know. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know how I feel. I don't know if I'm bi. I don't know if I'm straight. Do I really have to know? Do I really have to label myself and come
1: out? Let me just answer the question that you posed there at the end before we get to the rest of it. Do I really have to label myself and come out? No. Actually, you really don't necessarily have to label yourself and come out. Labels are handy and labels are helpful. Most of the people out there on Twitter and everywhere else, Tumblr, who say, oh, who needs labels? We don't need labels. Why can't people just be people? Why can't people just be sexual? Almost always when you nail those people down, when you talk to them, they're straight people. And it's easy for straight people to be blasé or not give a flying fuck about labels because they will be accurately labeled. because. Almost everybody is straight. Way over 90 percent of everybody is straight. So you can swan around saying, oh, who needs labels? If you're straight, confident in the knowledge that you will be accurately labeled. You will be perceived to be straight, presumed to be straight and that is actually who you are. So of course you cannot give a flying fuck about labels, right? If everything for sale at the store was cans of creamed fucking corn, right? You wouldn't need labels on the cans of cream fucking corn. You could just go into the store and assume cans, cream fucking corn. And then if something wasn't cream fucking corn, that would have to be labeled. So you would know that you were picking up a can at the store that wasn't cream fucking corn. Does that make any sense? You can take that out. (laughs) Looking at the producer, you could take that cream whole creamed can, cream corn metaphor. Really like got lost in the aisles of Safeway on that one. So for you, do you need to label yourself? No. Uh, it might help though if you called yourself bi or heteroflexible or bi curious or something that accurately reflects how you feel and and who you are or might be. In part because it'll drive away douchebags like your ex boyfriend. If you were out and bi, somebody who wouldn't date a bi girl, somebody who would tell somebody who's bisexual that they would have to suppress that to be with them is less likely to get with them in the first place. So you wouldn't have had this unpleasant experience with your ex-boyfriend finding your porn and confronting you about what it meant. You know, if you're out and by, you would might have a boyfriend or girlfriend, but you might have a boyfriend who dug that. You might have a boyfriend who was actually kind of turned on by the thought that when he was going down on you, you were closing your eyes and leaning back and pretending that it was another woman going down on you. He might want to dirty talk with you about that. He might love that. If you were out and by, you would attract that kind of guy, right? So that label is going to do good for you. It's going to bring good things into your life like me and the gay label, putting the gay label on myself. It brought good things into my life. It brought gay people I love into my life. It brought lovers into my life. It brought the love of my life into my life and it made it easy for those things to happen for me, easier for those things to happen for me because I was gay, 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 labeled, right? So what do you do? You're 22. Never been with a woman. You like lesbian porn. You think about women eating your pussy. You think about women's bodies. It turns you on. Are you bi? Probably. Maybe. Probably. Maybe. You should go fuck a woman and find the fuck out. You say, I don't know if I could emotionally date a woman. That is a very common brand of bisexuality. There are a lot of people out there who are bi who think they can't really be bi because they've heard that to be bi means that you can – Be intimate sexually and emotionally with males or females or everybody else along the gender spectrum or they might fall, right? And so you think, oh, because I only want to have sex with women but I'm not emotionally attractive to women. I don't have a relationship with women. Then I must not be bi because the definition of bi is I can fall in love with anybody. Well, not true. There's a lot of bisexuals out there, a lot of people who are bisexually identified out there who are upfront and honest and know that – They can be sexually intimate with people of either gender but they really can only fall in lerve, lerve, lerve with one or the other, usually the opposite sex. Maybe you're that kind of bi. That's a kind of bi and you could be that kind of bi. Or you could go read recent Savage Lovecast guest Anna Pulley's piece at Salon, It's Not Easy Being Bi, which is all about all the other terms that bisexuals might want to embrace instead of bi because bi seems to be complicated and complicating for a lot of people, the bisexual identity. But get out there. Live a little. As for your family, fuck your family. All the advice you've heard me give to queer people applies in this situation. When you're ready to come out to them, make them fear your rejection. Do not cower in fear of theirs. Make sure that they understand that their presence in your life is conditional on their love and support for you. And If they can't make it through with the love and support, then you're not going to fucking see them. The same thing I tell 15-year-old gay boys who are coming out. I'm going to tell you when you – figure out what label you're comfortable with, figure out who you are, and you apply that label to yourself and you want to be open with all the people in your life about who you know yourself to be. Don't fear your family, make your family fear you.
0: Hi, Dan. I am a 29 bisexual female. And after months and months of hearing your voice in my head, nagging me to come out, I finally did on national coming out day on the internet, on Facebook. Um, and before that I was out to, um, friends I made in the past couple years, and my sister, but not to my extended family, not to people from my past. And I just wanted to let you know what an extremely positive experience it was for me. My dad isn't really on Facebook much, but I think it got through the grapevine of family to him, and he sent me a really sweet email about it, which, you know, my dad is like a Fox News Republican, and we haven't always had the best relationship, and it's definitely not something that would have happened five years ago. Uh, I think, both because of our personal relationship, but also the way the climate in the country has changed. And um, I feel like you're a big part of why that's changed, and a lot of the people out there listening to you are a big part of why that's changed. Um, So anyway, I just wanted to share that I'm bisexual who listened to your advice, and I came the fuck out, and it was great. It was great. And all you other bisexuals out there listening, I just want to say, uh, I'm with Dan on this one. Come the fuck out. You won't regret it.
1: Thank you for that wonderful call and uh, congratulations and um, – ah, I'm blushing. However, I want to complicate your message there. Come the fuck out. You won't regret it. Actually, sometimes you do regret it. Sometimes you come out and you don't get the response that you did from your family. You don't get a, a sweet email from your dad and you don't get a lot of support. Sometimes when you get a, come out, you get nothing but grief and there are a, a lot of people out there who I think are thinking about coming out as whoever they are or whatever they are. And they worry that you know that their families will reject them and and sometimes we underestimate our families sometimes they surprise us with their love and support, and we realize that we had less to fear than we thought and and sometimes you know the fears that we had were completely grounded in evidence and fact we've you know watched our families say and do shitty things about queer people all our lives growing up. Um, you know we watched them vote for people who were anti gay bigots, maybe we watched them vote for anti gay marriage amendments to State constitutions we heard them say horrible things about queer people when we were children, and we remember those things very clearly that it can barely remember them themselves and We forget that you know a lot of people are making progress on these issues, even you know perhaps your parents, so you get to be an adult queer and you don 't come out to your parents and you don 't come out to your parents because of things they said twenty years ago when you were eight and you don 't give your parents credit for living in the world and continuing to think and be exposed to media and evolve and perhaps come around. Uh, And you don't talk about queer issues because they don't know you're queer and you come out from this place of real fear and trepidation and your parents either have evolved since you were eight or they evolve quickly because they love you and they realize that whatever prejudices they were holding in their heart, you are more important and you occupy a more important place in their heart than those prejudices and they get rid of the prejudices instead of you. That said, you know come the fuck out. You won't regret it. I've heard from people who regret it. I've heard from people whose whole lives have been turned upside down uh, by coming out. And that's something I emphasize when I speak to uh, college groups or uh, young queer people who are thinking about coming out is that you need to keep that chaos in perspective. When you come out, when you first say the words, it can really fuck up your relationship with your parents. It can really screw up your relationships with people you thought were your friends. It can really mess up your relationships with your peers. And – At least initially, the coming out for many people, particularly very young people, doesn't bring a lot of joy into their lives. It brings a lot of chaos and drama and pain and a a shit show, drama and trauma, not joy. The joy comes later. You know, the dust settles. Mom and dad get over it. You lose the friends who weren't your friends. You make new friends who are your friends. You establish a new peer group of your old peer group, couldn't love and accept you. And then suddenly there's wonderful people in your life, people who really know you for you and those people would not be in your life if you hadn't come out. And then there's a love in your life and that person would not be in your life if you hadn't come out. All that good comes later. The drama all comes in an instant. You come out, particularly on Facebook, you tell everybody at once, kablooey. All the drama, all the shit, all the trauma comes all at once. The good trickles in and you got to wait for it, but it's coming.
3: Hi, Dan. I'm um, long time listener. You got me through high school and college. Um, first time caller. I am 23 years old. Um, my question is, I uh, consider myself fluid, I guess, um, and I'm about to move to a big city. I've dated men and women, been in love with, had sex with men and women. I just got out of a year-long relationship with a man, and I'm looking forward to dating women again. Um, I've been on a couple of dates with one woman. Um, my big concern is I've actually, despite the fact that I lost my virginity to a woman, never gone down on a woman. Um, the woman I dated, it just wasn't something that she was interested in me going down on her. So it has never happened. So I think that's standard and I, you know, totally am willing to do it. Um, but it's a little embarrassing and maybe I should just get over that. Um, but maybe I need to, should I say something to the woman that I'm going to be sleeping with? Like, Hey, that's why I never gone down on a woman. Um, or should I just You know, cross my fingers and hope for the best. I think another concern of mine is that for some lesbian women, dating someone who dates men and women is already kind of, you know, they have stigmas that I am just kind of experimenting, which I'm not. I'm very attracted to women. Um, So any advice that you have would be great. Thank you so much.
1: Use your words. That's it. If you're worried that somebody thinks you're just experimenting, tell them that you're not just experimenting. You lost your virginity to a woman and you want to have relationships with women. Um, as for the never having gone down on a, a woman issue, what you don't want to do is Google Garfunkel and Oates and the college try. Don't do that. Whatever you do, don't listen to that song because it could really screw it up for you. Instead, get a girlfriend, tell her, use your words, what you just told us. You lost your virginity to a woman. You were in a long-term relationship with a woman. You're bi. You were in a relationship with a man. Now you're dating her. But there's this thing that's pretty standard for bi and lesbian women that you never got to do because your first girlfriend wasn't into it, didn't want you to go down on her. You've never done that and you're excited to try it. You want to give it the college try. Just not the college try by Garfunkel and Oates.
3: Hi, Dan. I'm a 20-something, sex-positive female from the Northeast coming to you about a question I have regarding my sister. She has quite a substantial amount of student loans. I needed a computer for a short period of time, so I let her borrow mine. She gave it back, but after she left her email account open, and I admit I snooped and saw that she has signed herself up on this website as a sugar baby looking for a sugar daddy. The terms of this arrangement on the website is that sugar daddies look for company, conversation, and possibly more in exchange for monthly compensation from anywhere to 1000 to over $10,000. My sister has been in an arrangement with a man for 35 years her senior and is also married. Through her emails with him, I have found that her arrangement consists of weekly dinners in exchange for him helping with her uh, student loans. He also purchases high-end clothing and other accessories and gifts and such, um, in addition to this monthly stipend that he's re- she's receiving. My question for you is, do you think this arrangement is sounding a little prostitute and is this also legal? My sister is a very book-smart person, but might not understand what could happen by entering into this arrangement, in addition to him being married. On the other hand, she could be the smartest person alive for getting her loan paid off in this way. I want to talk to her about this, but I have no problem telling her how I found out. And I'm I'm not sure if this is something I should also be concerned about.
1: Joining us by phone from Las Vegas, Angela Jacob Mermudo. She is the public relations manager for SeekingArrangement.com, the leading website for sugar babies and sugar daddies and the occasional sugar mama for people who are seeking the sort of arrangement caller that your sister sought and that your sister has. And I'm going to assume your sister got that through this website. So, uh, Angela, how are you? I'm doing well.
3: How's everybody
1: else? Uh, good. So this caller who snooped into her sister's email, and it sounds like she read every last email in her sister's inbox, uh, she wonders if this is prostitute What's the defense? As if there's something wrong with prostitution. I don't believe that there's something wrong with sex work. But is this prostitute seeking arrangements?
3: Of course. Absolutely nothing against anyone who works in the sex work industry. You know, that's their decision. That's their body. But I would like to make it clear that at least on seeking arrangement or these type of arrangements aren't, you know, it's not prostitution. Prostitution is black and white exchange of sex for money. And it's one-dimensional. You know, there's no relationship involved. On seeking arrangement, what we create here are mutually beneficial arrangements. That means that in exchange for companionship or someone's ideal relationship, and again, that doesn't include any sexual favors or any deal of sexual intimacy, then in exchange for that companionship, men give women financial assistance or, you know, or give them cash. It's not, you know, it's not like prostitution where the woman is exchanging her body for money.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to pretend to believe you for just a minute. So seriously, people are going to pay $1,000 a month or $10,000 a month just to hang out, just to go shopping? Do men like to go shopping?
3: Yeah, you know, absolutely. Because how this works is that, you know, it's not like a conventional relationship where it's a boyfriend-girlfriend type of thing. These oh. are relationships that have been catered to what men are looking for so for example the successful man is looking to date a woman only you know he just wants to see her once a week Mm -hmm. and you know during the weekdays say he's off limits because he's busy working and he doesn't want to deal with how a conventional relationship has like jealousy or demands on his time that's what he's getting he's essentially getting to say you know this is what i want out of my relationship
1: Aren't some of them saying what I want out of a relationship is a blowjob? That never happens at Seeking Arrangement? I've looked at the website and, you know... No, I, I, anybody
3: who does that, on anybody who goes on the site to do that is in clear violation of our user terms, and we monitor messaging. So if that's going on on the website, then we go in there and we suspend those accounts, and they're mm-hmm. not allowed to come back on because they have violated uh, their user terms.
1: You can't control then what, you know, two people who may... Uh, find each other via seeking arrangement than arrange via their own private emails or telephone calls or texts, right? Or, or, you know, a relationship, a relationship could blossom and bloom into something intimate that, that, that that's not outside the realm of possibility here. Is it not?
3: If it happens naturally, just like it does with any healthy relationship Then it happens naturally. But mm. Anybody who, you know, I would just like to know that anybody who is being solicited, um, for sex in exchange for money, that person is on our site for the wrong reasons. And, you know, we explicitly state, you cannot do that on our site. I don't, I, you know, I can't speak for the other sugar daddy dating websites, but for a fact seeking arrangement, that's something that we pride ourselves in mm-hmm. is actually, you know, changing a mentality, this sort of, this mentality of what a sugar daddy is, this really old world version of a, you know, of an old man who pays for, you know, who pays for women like younger women to Mm -hmm. become intimate with them. That's not, you know, that's not what the modern sugar daddy is about. We're Mm -hmm. about creating mutually beneficial arrangements, the ideal relationship for people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the money is involved. And that is, you know, that is one of the biggest perks for the women. And for the men, it's being able to date their ideal woman.
1: Hmm. So, the, the, what the guy gets out of it if if sex doesn't happen of its own natural course in a relationship where you're paying somebody ten thousand dollars a month to hang out with you, if sex doesn't just happen, what the guy gets out of it is companionship and getting to like you know, uh swan around with a beautiful girl on his arm in public and some some female attention and time, but not necessarily sex.
3: Not. Yeah. Not
1: sex, never so he's sex. Getting,
3: so he is getting companionship. Like I said, it's his ideal companionship. In regular conventional relationships, you know, they often become one-sided where, you know, only one person is giving and mm-hmm. the other person is taking and taking. With a mutually beneficial arrangement, you have the power to say exactly what you want from a relationship. You know, I don't know <sighs> if you're married or in a relationship right now, but, you know. Me?
1: Me personally? Yeah. Oh, I am I am totally married. I am totally in a in, in a relationship.
3: Sadly, and I would hope that in your marriage it is mutually beneficial where, you know, you both give equal give and take. Unfortunately, for a lot of relationships, it's not that way. And that's why these men seek out arrangements because they can get exactly what they want, you know, except, emotionally.
1: Wait, wait. Emotionally, and, they can get exactly what they want except sex. You're 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 really yeah. going you're really arguing that the guys on this site aren't Hoping for sex, looking for sex, even if they can't explicitly ask for sex and make it a, a quid pro quo. I thought that was the benefit for a lot of guys who are seeking this kind of arrangement. I will benefit you with ten grand a month, you will benefit me with some blowjobs. No, that doesn't happen? Nope. That's
3: not, you know, that is not what's allowed on our sex.
1: Okay. All right. Any advice for this woman? Is her sister is her sister in grave danger in a sugar baby, sugar daddy relationship?
3: she's not in any grave danger. I would say that she should talk to her sister and find out how her relationship is with this gentleman and to make sure that it's a healthy one and that it's a proper arrangement. And, you know, whenever we have new people joining on the site, we always advise them, you know, look on the blog, learn how arrangements are actually supposed to be like, know that you have the power to dictate what kind of an arrangement you're getting in and to know that you can get this financial assistance without, you know, without having to include sexual intimacy. That's not what an arrangement is about. If anyone's trying to convince you that that's what it's about, then, you know, there's thousands, if not millions, of people who would actually, who could actually show proof that that's not how it I'm is. I'm
1: just trying to picture, you know, a well-off straight guy who may be married, as this mm-hmm. girl's sugar daddy is, who is going to pay $1,000 a month or $10,000 a month, anywhere in that range... Uh, to a pretty young woman, just because he wants to squire her around, that that, that ultimately he may have the, uh, uh, another agenda. And I'm pro sex work, so I don't think him having an agenda that hopefully this relationship will blossom into a sexual connection is an evil or terrible thing. I'm just having a hard time sort of reconciling in my brain uh, the, the the argument you're making that 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 everybody at seeking arrangement isn't aware that this is where most of these relationships ultimately are intended to go by at least the dudes who are kicking in the dough. No.
3: Dan, as I said, in any you know, in any relationship that a guy gets into, and including the ones on seeking arrangement, men can certainly aspire to become intimate, to have sex with women. But in the end, it's not part of it. You know, it's not part of that arrangement. Mm-hmm. I know that's hard to understand, but realistically with men that are you know, with successful men who are busy, who have demanding schedules, some like, you know, most of them I mean, all the ones that use the site and most of the successful men out there can't deal with, you know, the pressures or just the demands of a conventional relationship. And for some of them, this is their, you know, this is their, this is their perfect arrangement. And I've talked to, you know, numerous of these, you know, I've talked to numerous of these men whenever we do casting and all that, and, you know... They love it. This so, is to them right. what their, you know, what their ideal relationship is like. Uh, and true, it's not like a conventional relationship because there is money involved. But if every other regular relationship could be this way, where you could say exactly what you want,
1: and what rudely willing, honest, and what you're willing to pay for,
3: it. and what you're, yeah, and what you're willing to give, you know, we would all get along better.
1: Right. You can be brutally honest, except about sex.
3: Well, right? you're being brutally honest about what you're looking for in a relationship. Do you, do you ever go into a conventional relationship asking, hey, look, I want to have sex with you eventually? No one says that. That's just something, you know, that you have to get to naturally.
1: Right, right, right. Okay, so uh, this is a, we, we've been going around and around for a long time. Basically, uh, we could answer this question just briefly. There's no guarantees at this site. That sex might happen if the, you guys, are, if it if it works, if you click and both of you want to upgrade to platinum or whatever, and a sexual relationship could evolve out of this arrangement that's about companionship, but no guarantees and no explicit negotiations around sex because that's not what the site's about. Now, this girl who snooped on her sister's emails and sounds like she read every single fucking one of them and she should be slapped. Uh, you, you think she should talk to her sister to to suss out this relationship and make sure her sister's being safe? I, I think she should butt the fuck out, uh, because otherwise she's going to have to tell her sister. I read every goddamn one of your emails, and I'm an untrustworthy uh, piece of shit <laughs> who can't be left alone <laughs> with with a computer with an email account open on it. Uh, but uh, one thing I wanted to ask you: like, she could be the smartest person alive. Do you think the women who uh, go to sinking arrangement are that this is a smart thing for them to do? They have student loan debt. You know, some people are going to look at this and say this is economic coercion. There are people who are in tough spots who may go to SeekingArrangement.com, not of their own free will, not for fun and adventure, not because it's what they want, but because they've been backed into a corner by student loan debt or credit card bills where they then are preyed upon or because they're vulnerable?
3: You know, there's something that we always say, and it's that if you're going to join Seeking Arrangement, don't treat it like welfare. That's not what it's about, because um, once you're coming on there, just because, like you said, you're backed into a corner financially, then... You know, you're not using the site to the, like, to the full benefit. You're not, you know, you're not being fair to the other people because this is a dating website. Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, you have the financial, you have the financial perks to it that help out with, like, bills and everything that's why it's so popular with college students. But if you're coming here out of desperation, you know, you might want to reconsider Mm-hmm. Um, the other options that you have because, you know, you don't want to be joining a dating website in desperation, you know, asking people, Hey, please pay my bills because I'm going to be evicted or something like, again, this is a dating website. You know, you have to be willing to seek out like a relationship with somebody. You have to be willing to right. be in a relationship because you can't, it can't be one sided where somebody is giving you money and you're not pulling your end of the bargain. You have to pull up your end of the bargain and, you know, provide companionship and, you know, have conversations with that person and spend time with them.
1: Okay. So men shouldn't go to seeking arrangement, looking for sex and women shouldn't go to seeking arrangement because they're looking for money.
3: Yes. You can't just strictly look for money and you, you know, you can't come here looking for sex because that's not what we are. If you're looking for sex, no, please. There are escort sites out there that you can definitely do that. And you know, that's, that's another thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Wealthy men can afford, they can afford escort services. Why would they, you know, realistically, why would they be paying thousands of dollars every month to somebody if it was just that? If this right. was only something for sex, I mean, you're a guy. You would never pay thousands of dollars strictly for sex. You can, you can get a blue chip out there for less.
1: Uh-huh. You know, I, actually, I will concede that point to you. I, I think you're, you know, I think you're being very legalistic about not seeking sex and not seeking money. But I do agree because I've known some people who did seeking arrangement uh, and did sugar daddy, sugar baby relationships, and it did seem like the men who were involved wanted maybe sex, but what they wanted was a companion of their same this is going to sound horrible, social milieu because a lot of these people who are there are educated and smart and you can take them to dinner and a lot of people don't feel that way about sex workers, although I know a lot of sex workers who are of all classes, races, economic uh, levels themselves and backgrounds. I'm not like trying to slime sex workers at this moment. But I, my impression from some of my friends who got involved was they were looking – the guys that they met were looking for presentable people that they could be in public with and not be embarrassed by who weren't also escorts generally working a lot of angles that they sort of had them all to themselves that they had them on retainer in a way whether or not they were
3: exactly and even you know and even in private, it's somebody that you enjoy having a conversation with
1: okay angela jacob mermudo public relations manager for seekingarrangement.com thank you so much for jumping on the phone with us today
3: thanks dan you have a good one you too hi dan i have a situation i really just need your take on I'm a 20 something bisexual. I've been seeing a guy who's about 10 years older than me now for about two years. And we've had a friends with benefits type relationship. We haven't seen or haven't had any other partners outside. So when I first met him, he began by telling me that he was gay for about a month into our friendship. And he would elaborately give details about other men that he'd been with and show me pictures of them on his phone which when friends and I would look at them, if we looked in the corner, we could see that they were really from a gay website and not actually real pictures. Somehow one day we ended up having sex with his initiation, and afterwards he told me his stories that, that being gay were all a lie and that he, that I had really taken his virginity in all its forms, and he was at 37 at the time. He's kind of socially awkward, um, and he's very focused on his job and very good at it, so I do believe that he's actually a virgin, or he was before me, but I just can't get over him lying to me, um, especially in such an elaborate way and being about such an odd thing like sexuality, and then other small lies that I've caught him in about other insignificant things To the time I've known him. He tells me that he wants to be with me forever and get married, and he tells me he doesn't know why he lied to me about it in the first place. Um, he wishes that I could get over it and forgive him. He thinks that I'm being stubborn and unforgiving, but I can't take the relationship further when I know he has the ability of lying to me and the mental block when I still believe that he might be gay when he tells me he's not. He does initiate sex quite a bit, um, but he does never make comments about me physically on my appearance, and he's never told me, oh, you look nice today or anything like that. I've told him in the end I can't take the relationship any further. But I also would really like to hear your take on this or any advice you might have because this has really been bothering me for about two years now. Thank
1: you. Look, if you don't want to fuck this guy, stop fucking this guy. How hard is that? You say, hello, I'm not going to fuck you anymore. That fucking part of our relationship is at an end. We are now fuck-free friends. Um, I don't know why he lied about being gay. He sounds like he's not gay. He sounds like he's just kind of nutty. Maybe he's socially maladapted in a way. Maybe he you know, w- was really super-duper crazy insecure about having no experience and no luck and no rapport with women and he was so not homophobic that he just thought it would be an easier out with his friends and in his social circles to identify himself as gay and create these elaborate lies about boyfriends than it would be to just to say I'm straight and luckless and still a virgin at 37. Um, Or 35 or however old he was when you started fucking him. He sounds like he might exist on some point along the autism spectrum. Maybe that's why he doesn't know to pay you compliments. That's why he may assume that just his desire for you and the initiating of sex is enough evidence of his affection and his feelings. And he doesn't know to bust out the romance. you know. Somebody who would show friends pictures that were clearly from gay porn sites and claim that these were his boyfriends or this was his boyfriend doesn't have a lot of sense. Isn't able to put himself into someone else's head and accurately sort of assess how he will be perceived. So maybe he's just fucking nuts. And if you don't – if you like him, if you love him, maybe you can love him through the nuttiness. Maybe he's worth it. There's something there. He's obviously not so nuts and not so repellent that you haven't continued to fuck him for two years. So maybe there's something there that you can tease out. Maybe there's some little green shoots of common sense and decency and humanity that you can water with your pussy and they will grow and he will become a better person in this relationship. But if you want out, if you don't trust him because of this big lie and then those other little lies, things he didn't need to lie about that he did, people lie all the time. Also in relationships, uh, people just lie sort of to make things easier sometimes, to be kind sometimes. So you're never going to have a lie-free relationship. You're 20. I'm telling you this from the future. You will never have a relationship that is free of lying. Uh, but you know, his lies, his little lies carry more weight because of the big lie at the start, the big inexplicable weird from Mars unnecessary lie at the start makes his little lies seem more consequential perhaps. But if you don't want to fuck him because he's kind of a creepy – inconsiderate, whether by intent or just cluelessness, jerk who lies, then stop fucking him. You're 20. He's 37. Let him go find a girlfriend. Now that you've given him some experience, now that he knows he can, he can go out there and get another girlfriend and you're only 20, you can get a boyfriend, not one who doesn't lie to you because all people lie to each other all the time, but one who doesn't lie to you about anything really important about, say, his sexuality. Or his sexual history. Good luck.
3: Hi, Dan. I'm a 19-year-old, mostly straight female, living on the East Coast. And I've been fucking this guy for a while. And he's super shy and pretty vanilla in the bedroom. And I'm a little bit more adventurous. And I don't know how to propose or bring up my kinks to him. Without freaking him out. Could you please give any advice on how to bring it up?
1: This is another use your words moment. Just fucking tell him what turns you on. Tell him about your kinks. Tell him you're telling him about your kinks because you want to hear about his. And then if he is vanilla and easily startled, he'll run screaming and good riddance. He's not the right guy for you. Odds are, though, that he'll be up for it and game and interested and excited. And the way you present your kinks is I've said a million times, not like leukemia, not like, oh, uh, I have a cancer diagnosis. I have to share this with you. This is very sad and tragic and is really going to complicate our relationship. I'm so sorry. This is what I like to do in bed. But to present them like their presents on Christmas morning. Here, open your presents. Look, isn't this exciting? Not this is what you're going to have to do if we're going to be with each other. But this is what you get to do since we're together. Won't this be fun? We're going to have a really amazing, kick-ass, adventurous sex life with crazy things happening. We're going to have so much fun. These are my presents. Now I'd like to open your presents. Roll it out like that. And I bet he'll respond positively. And if he responds negatively, not the right guy for you and good riddance.
3: Hi, Dan. This is the woman who called in Podcast 311 just about a year ago. Um, My husband had just come out to me as kinky, and I was kind of freaking out and not quite sure what to do. And uh, that was about a year ago, and your advice was amazing. It saved our marriage. It improved our sex life. We are now having really awesome hot kinky sex almost all the time. It turns out that I'm one of those people that didn't know that I was kinky or loved that kind of stuff until a partner, uh, forced me into that world. And I have discovered that it is a really great world to be in and to be part of, and we're learning a lot of stuff, and uh, we've gotten our sex to be as nerdy as our real lives are, so that's really wonderful. Um, so we are it's a year later, and you always say people should call back and tell you how things went, and we were you know, trying to find a time to do it together, but it never worked out, so I am calling you now to thank you for improving our sex life, saving our marriage, and generally being awesome. Thanks.
1: Thanks very much for your call and your update and see, my advice works. Of course, we typically don't play calls from people who call in to tell me that taking my advice destroyed their lives Um, but we typically don't get those calls. I'm really happy for you and and this just bolsters something I've said uh, a thousand times. This is the show where I keep talking about the things I've said a thousand times but that you meet two kinds of people at big kink events like the parties you and your husband are going to. You meet people who are always kinky. You meet people who are jerking off about their kinks when they're 13 years old. You meet people who were just sort of born kinky and then you meet people who fell in love with people who were born kinky and either got into their kinks because of the pleasure they gave their partner or they realized that those kinks really spoke to them and really tapped into some part of their erotic imagination and they are now kinky themselves. Kinky people they recruit. Um, I'm glad that uh, you're having such a good time and I'm really glad that you stuck around and you listened and you thought about it instead of just having a sex negative, kink negative flight reaction when your husband came out to you about his kinks uh, and to hear that it's improved your marriage and your sexual connection. That's so gratifying to me personally. It makes us all here at the podcast feel good about the work that we do.
3: Hey Dan, I have just been listening to episode 369, a your response to the New York Times article and I'm really glad that you responded to that. I had read the article and it made me little bit uneasy, I was realizing that this message about, oh, you know, girls aren't having any fun, young women aren't having any fun as they go out and hook up, is the abstinence message cloaked in this empowerment sheep's clothing. It's saying to young women, oh, those bad boys, they're not going to do anything for you. You're not going to have any fun if you go out and explore your sexuality with these ragingly inconsiderate young men. So I just thank you for shining some light on that. It's so needed. Hi, Dan. I'm a 28-year-old female calling in response to your uh, rant this week about that sexual inequalities article. Here's my advice for everyone out there. For dudes, if you like a girl, tell her the following phrase. I want you to teach me how to please a woman. A guy told me that last year, and it was so empowering. For ladies... Or asking your partners to try harder, practice on a guy you like to fuck but see no future with. It made it a lot easier for me. Also, don't worry about hurting their feelings. Turns out, guys actually like the challenge.
5: This is just in response to podcast three sixty nine about the gay guy dating trans guys. I'm gay. I've been uh, gay, you know, out since I was sixteen. Only dating men. Not attracted to women. Never been with women. But Buck Angel, I would do him in a second.
1: And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. As ever, a huge thank you to all you subscribers to the Savage Lovecast Magnum Edition. We have big news. Now you can give the gift of the Savage Lovecast. You can give a season or you can give an episode. If there's something you think a friend needs to hear in a show or if you think someone needs the show every week, all of it, you can go to www.savagelovecast.com. And when you go to buy, you can click on the gray bar that says gift and it will be sent to your friend, neighbor, mom, dad with instructions about what they need to do next to get the gift that's been given them, the gift of the Savage Lovecast. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Rescue. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for coming.